You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Tuesday, 25th of Jan, 2022. This is Alf speaking, and I'm here with the one and only Tony Greer, the editor of The Morning Navigator. How are you doing, Tony? Alfonso, tremendous. How are you today? Wow, you're tremendous, man. I mean, I can't match that. So let's say I'm good. Let's say I'm good. <laughs> but, but, but let's talk about markets. So let's kick it off immediately. You know, today, but not only today, year-to-date moves have been all over the place, one can say, right? I mean, uh, we can even argue, and we will do it later on, that there is some macro into that, but there is also some flows and some liquidity and some book degrossing into that. But what do you see today on the screen? What does it actually uh, impress you the most, Tony? Yeah, Alf, I see, uh, I see sort of a tale of two markets when I look at my screens and I see, you know, kind of at the end of last week when I do my tallies, you know, the equity market was bombarded. So everything in the equities in the red, everything commodities in the black, right? And I look at, you know, I'm, I'm very big on keeping an eye on year to date performance throughout the year. It just happens to be easier in the beginning of the year when we remember where everything started. But the screen today is the perfect example of something that we spoke about last time um, you know, energy on top, Bloomberg commodities in the green, for example, like today, and everything in the red is technology. You know, when you read from the bottom of the screen up by order of magnitude, it tells the whole entire story right here, right? We've got Bitcoin and cryptocurrency off 20, 30% year to date, yeah. Te- not technology sectors off 12 to 15% year to date, and energy in the plus column. 10, 15, 20%, depending on what sector you decide to choose. So I think that this is something that we're going to see a lot of this year. Yeah. And uh, Tony, I mean, the geopolitical tensions are obviously driving some of the price action in markets and in commodities, especially. I mean, the Russia-Ukraine thing has been quite an interesting development. So as you're an expert in commodities, uh, we all would love to hear your opinion on that. You know, Alf, I believe that it probably, you know, the the Russia-Ukraine thing is uh, important to keep an eye on, obviously, geopolitically. Like, I do believe that it could be behind some of the gold buying that we've seen in a sort of, you know, flight to a safe asset just in case, you know, and I I don't know the probabilities of this uh, becoming, you know, a more entrenched or prolonged um, operation. In fact, we don't know where we stand yet on the sort of U.S. military side. I think it's very much up in the air. But yeah, this is driving markets. This is the kind of, uh, you know, broad brush isolationism that we've kind of seen, I think, where nations have a little bit of a standoffish um, tone toward each other. And, you know, there's still an underlying grab of hard assets. You know, we ran into, unfortunately, the big rate regime change with the Federal Reserve, um, you know, taking the punch bowl away to, to simplify it. And that has taken us way back from the highs in, uh, in equities and taken a little bit of risk out of the markets. Um, but we can carve it up however you want, Alf. There's a lot to go on under the hood there. 
Yeah, so before we jump into gold, the Fed and bonds and stocks, etc., uh, let's give the audience for a second as well the opportunity to listen to what Dr. Pippa Malgram had to say with Samuel Burke on Real Vision about Russia and Ukraine. So uh, let's see what they have to say. That we're seeing a lot of uh, Russian amphibious vessels in the Baltic Sea now. They are around the critical islands that uh, are at the mouth where you transfer from the Baltic into the North Sea. And those are literally amphibious landing vessels. So they can rock up with a battalion of troops, let's call it 500 special ops people, um, in minutes. So yeah, ground hard, not hard. This is not the point. The second thing is this is this is a little bit like, and I'm going to make the analogy for the Real Vision audience. So we make fun of people who are TradFi because we're all DeFi, right? So now I'm going to make fun of people who think in traditional military terms that they're going to be tanks that roll over a border. Not necessarily. This is a world where militaries everywhere have pushed a lot of their operations off balance sheet. Uh, both the U.S. and Russia have now got privatized armies. In the U.S., we have Academy, which used to be known as Blackwater. In Russia, not that they're exactly the same kind of thing, because they're not, but in Russia, you have the Wagner Group. So again, when you start counting how many troops, how many Russian troops are on the Ukrainian border, I'm like, how many Russian um, military officials are already in the West somewhere, but they're not wearing a uniform? But that doesn't mean they don't work for a boss. It's basically uh, Putin's private army. And so this business of thinking about how a military incursion will look is so old fashioned. Some cool stuff from uh, Dr. Pippa Margram. This interview is free on every platform, YouTube, the Real Vision website. So if you want to know more, just go and check it out. Uh, but Tony, so um, we, we heard as well your opinion on the geopolitical stuff, which is um, driving market action, as you said, to a certain extent. My two cents on this. If I'm talking about geopolitical stuff and Russia and Ukraine, you're talking about Russia and Ukraine, everybody else is worried about Russia and Ukraine. Shall we argue it's at least partially priced in? Yeah, I think we, I think we can settle on that. There hasn't been a complete cataclysmic event that we can point to, right, as a, as a direct result of this. So yeah, agreed. And, and the other thing to say is that with tail risks, it's always difficult to price them incorrectly because in markets, uh, guys, it's always about future probabilistic events. Nobody knows what's going to happen, right? So you have base case scenario in front of you, then you have a tail risk scenario on the right and on the left normally, or a bunch of those, and you have to attach probability to, to those. And in this case, obviously, a war would be a super tail event with major impact on market prices, which is very difficult to price but it can hardly be considered a base case, or at least we, we all hope it's not the base case to be priced in here. Uh, nevertheless, it's, it's, it's driving some price action. You talked about gold, and you tweeted something also very interesting about gold flows, Tony. So do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, you know, I, I, gold's been really interesting, especially on Twitter. The, the other day, I, I tweeted something, and I don't, really, I don't judge tweets by their number of likes. I really don't. But this, this hit me. I said that I could warm up to gold a little bit because I saw real rates rifling higher and I see crypto markets look like they are, in my opinion, could be in for further de-risking. 
So I tweeted that I'm warming up to gold because of this, because gold could see those inflows. Alfonso, the tweet got like 1,200 likes, <laughs> right? Which is like, I, I've never even put out a piece of content that got 1,200 likes in my life, so I don't know this experience. And so, I'll, but it makes you think, it's like, wow, there's a lot of people that, you know, want gold to go up, right? That they're rooting for gold. They're rooting for that to be the right call. Then I start looking around in the markets as always, and I come across a factoid today where $1.6 billion went into the GLD ETF, right? Yeah, I think it was in the last day, right? And I'm looking at GLD and I'm looking at gold and I'm saying all of this capital is coming into this ETF and gold is still an 1800 or 1850 item. You know, I, I love that it looks better and I'm going to root for it, but I can't get as excited knowing that there's this much length, once again, plowing in above 1800, hoping for the next follow through leg. And personally, if we don't see a bear market in the dollar, I don't know if we're going to get a bull leg in gold. So that's how I'm looking at the world. And Tony, the, the gold move here to date has been pretty interesting, especially in my opinion, as the underlying driver for gold, which is the cost opportunity of placing your money in something else that actually yields something and it's risk-free or considered to be risk-free, that's treasury bonds normally, has gone up and in real terms has also moved a lot. At the Macro Compass, uh, in my latest newsletter piece, I, I pulled a chart to show how fast and strong has been the move in real yields year to date. So we have this chart as well to show to the audience today and for people who cannot um, see and are listening on the podcast instead. If basically what I did is I ranked every biweekly move we have had in real yields in the US over the last 10 years. I just ranked them in a distribution and I stacked it out. And then I looked at January 3 to January 17, basically the first two weeks of the year, and now real yields moved this year. And that move of 40 basis points up in only two weeks, look at where it's stuck in distribution. Far right tail. It was a 2% percentile move something pretty rare, which was only beaten in terms of higher real yields move so fast, so quick, only six times over the last rolling two weeks, 10 years. So that's 250, uh, sorry, 520 times. So only seven out of 520 times we have a more vicious move in real yields than we had over the first two weeks of this year. And nevertheless, gold went nowhere. Generally, when real yields go up that fast, gold gets flushed. And one could say the same on the other way around, which is real yields last year also dropped very aggressively at some point and gold also didn't rally. So it seems that it's decoupling a bit from what it's considered to be his main underlying driver, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. No, that, that that's a little bit of the point, Alfonso. It's like, you know, between uh, between the real rates move, that could have been a counter move to gold, right? Between all the money coming in, you know, it's for me, gold is something, like I said, I, you know, we're, we're talking about something that I, I have a view on that is kind of a no touch for me this year, right? Gold to me is doing what I would love it to do, stay the same price, right? Like I would love nothing more than for the coins that I own, the physical that I own to hedge the fiat currency to be worth this price when I die. I'd be fine with that, right? Like that's, that's kind of for me what gold is. So I don't have a big driver for the move right now, especially since it's kind of failing litmus tests left and right for what should be driving it. Either way, this is when I take my hands off of that wheel and let other people drive, Alf. 
very interesting uh, at the macro compass i also put investment ideas out and what i did is i was short gold at the beginning of the year playing the higher real yield story the higher real yield story unfolded luckily i was short tips too so that worked but the proxy trade of being short gold didn't so what i did is i just closed it because honestly it's not trading as it should be so it becomes a no touch and you just get out of the trade it's a very difficult animal to handle so we are here trying to unpack what's going on in gold and i think the moving real yield stony also was very important for the tech move so the first chart we showed to uh, our audience and for people who are listening again showed the year to date uh, strongest moves when adjusted for the normal volatility of an asset class so if, if bonds move five percent that's a very large move compared to crypto which, are, which is a much more volatile asset so we adjusted for the underlying volatility of, of the of the asset class and there the worst performers adjusted for volatility are korean equities and then the broad technology indices or anyway the high market cap weighted indices like the s p 500 and so you cannot avoid linking at least part of that to the fact that real yields have moved up so quick so that companies that basically do not generate cash flows today, but rather they promise to generate cash flows far away in the future, and therefore the discounting factor for these companies matters much more, get hammered the most. And also assets which are very high beta, very sensitive to, to risk taking, they also get hammered more, point in case, Bitcoin, I would say, or do you have a different macro explanation for the moving Bitcoin? No, I'm with you, Alf. You know, we, the, the boom in Bitcoin, first of all, it's it's so sentimentally driven. You know, Alf, when when we started off in the last rally towards 60K with the laser eyes, and then we had the second bounce up, you know, the last bounce towards the highs where we had NFL football players getting paid in crypto. We had the mayor of New York being requested to be paid in crypto. And as we know, that has been the kiss of death in currency markets. So sentimentally, you know, you saw all of this positive energy in Bitcoin and it had a failure to advance, quite honestly. Then it, we turn the calendar into the new year and we run into this rate regime change frying pan and everybody says, oh, I see, if the two year is going to yield 1%, that means there's going to be less of a need for people to pile into cryptocurrency, you know, for uh, uh, whatever, you know, whatever, let whatever happens to my money happen in this thing. So I think the crypto traders are getting a little bit of a lesson that less liquidity means less of a driver behind cryptocurrency. And hopefully we'll see where it shakes out. I think that it stands a chance unless you know, Alf, we get into a situation where commodities keep rallying and the Fed has to play a much more aggressive game to keep the inflation genie in the bottle, if it can. I think if that's the case where 10-year yields start rallying towards two and a half, three, three and a half percent, I think you're going to see even more money come out of cryptocurrency on the premise that you said, where money goes where it's treated best. And suddenly, you know, versus what we've been looking at, 3% or something in the 10 year will be attractive, you know, to a certain class of investors, especially not having seen that price or that yield for a long time. So I'm kind of trying to, well, you know, I, I believe in Bitcoin. I'd love to see it survive. Um, it's on the ropes here, though. And if rates continue higher, I'm expecting it to remain on the ropes. Guys, take note. Tony said something so important. Money goes where it's treated best. And I agree 101%. It's always about 
the risk reward basically of where you put your money, what are you rewarded for, what, what is the risk you're taking. And what people tend to forget most of the time is that investors always have a, a cost opportunity choice. So they can decide to, to keep money in, in safe risk-free instruments, but then they get a certain reward. But they're also missing out on the opportunity to rather invest in risk premiums, which means being exposed to risk in different asset classes and expected a return, which is higher than the one they generally get in, in cash. Now, this is in, in this market environment, there are very few places where to hide, and uh, arguably uh, increasing your cash allocation was actually the, the right place where your money was treated well, basically as the expectation for short-term for short real yields went up. It's not always the case, but uh, generally money goes where money is treated the best. Tony, I agree with Tony, 101%. Hey everyone, we're gonna take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of today's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And Tony, you talked about flows, and I just want to touch upon before we jump to questions, because the audience is shooting plenty of those. Great. Um, the moves we have seen, we always try to make sense from a macro perspective of what's driving what. But I've been I've been on the asset management side, and you also you know have your hands very dirty with with you know running trades, etc. And you teach me, and you teach the audience as well that flows and liquidity can actually overwhelm macro for quite some time. Do you think this is what's happening now or can you make full macro sense of what's going on? Well, I can never make full macro sense of what's going on, Alf. I, I only try my best and then, uh, you know, cover one eye and see if it still makes sense. That's, that's how I do it. No, um, the flows are important. So the, to me, the biggest, the biggest uh, standout in flows has been the flow out of the equity markets, right? The flows out of, you know, the technology stocks, out of the triple Qs, if, one, as we say, if money is going to go where it's treated best, higher yields means we're probably going to pull some of the money out of the high-flying growth stocks and transfer into some of the slower-moving value stocks as a general premise as these portfolios shift right now. But what's, in, what's really intense to me is that as we walked into this rate hike regime change where we went very quickly from uh, pricing in one or two rate hikes in this calendar year to four, we've seen tremendous selling in equities, right? And one of the one of the indicators that I watch is the tick index, which yeah. measures the number of upticks or downticks on the NYSE. We have just seen a seven-day cluster of downside extremes in the tick index that I haven't seen since I've been monitoring it. So it's interesting that as we pivot to this higher yields regime change, we are seeing full-scale, unabashed, unsensitive bid hitting to get people out of the equity market. And that's really, really relevant. So just to look at this tick index, for example, we would have a pullback into the moving averages in 2021. And during that time, you would see maybe one or two downside tick index extremes between 1,500 and 2,000, right? In the last seven days, first we saw 
four extremes around 1500. And then in the last three sessions, Alf, we have seen, excuse me, four sessions now, we've seen four extremes near 1900 negative on the downside. Wow. wow. Right. So this is like, this is matching like the Godzilla sell-off from March of 2020 in terms of some of the magnitude readings. And so that's why before I go sticking a bid into the equity market, I want to be cognizant that a lot of this stock has got to be digested, right? A lot of this stock has got to change hands now. There was just an indiscriminate portfolio adjustment that took place in the markets and the market's got to breathe a little bit. So that's kind of what I'm looking for. I'll have to see how it shakes out on this end of the sort of equity damage control as we pull back from the highs. And what I expect is that we will at some point, at some point return to secular bull market type of price action, but it's going to be difficult and it's going to be non-linear and it's going to be via a lot of periods of high volatility, high volatility like we just saw. So a very different year than we saw last year, I think we're in for. I like as well the zooming out, right? So talking about the flows, so the most micro sort of driver now and the tick index you just described, talking about trying to make sense of the macro moves that drive the price action this year. I always like to zoom out and to say, okay, where are we in the long-term cycle? I mean, where are we standing here? Um, and a chart that I always pulled out from the macro compass is the chart of 30-year uh, real interest rates over the long term, just to give people a perspective, right? And that's, a, yeah. of course, a one trending channel down over the last 20 to 30 years. And obviously, there are swings around this channel, and it's a linear trend line, basically, with the channel in it. And now, apparently, 30-year uh, yields in America adjusted for inflation can hardly be above zero. It's very simple. If you want people to access new credit, you make it cheaper for them, right? Every time you make it cheaper for them so they can borrow and they can become more and more leveraged and everybody can access new newly created credit and basically you can kick the can down the road. So it's nice to talk about the, the flows of today, the flows in gold and the macro moves, but let's just as well zoom out and remember that these real interest rates are, the equilibrium real interest rates are hardly going to go up unless we get a huge productivity boost, a, a huge demographics boost, a strong and sustainable real growth without credit creation. Well, it's it's hard to make this your base case, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, you hit you hit the nail on the head there. Where you know the only way the equity market is going to be able to survive this move in yields is if GDP picks up some tailwind right behind it, right, and we print huge GDP numbers and everything is firing on all cylinders. Otherwise, I think we're in for a massive rotation out of tech into natural resources, more hard assets and the like. And I think that that's the way the year sets up. I think if you can tactically manage that as much as it is, then you have a chance of having a great performance this year. Well, I would say let's start tackling some of the questions from the audience, uh, Tony. So I'm looking at the screen right now. And uh, oh, we have one from Bo from the Real Vision website that says, Alf and Tony, both of you, the Fed is trying to engineer a soft landing, but isn't that like a low alcohol punch bowl leading to a best case scenario of mild stagflation? Tony, you take it first. You know, I only have a, a quick response to that and it's, 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 it's bifold. Yes, they are trying to manage a soft landing. It's, it seems like they are in a bit of a predicament now, right? Where they've, undermanaged the inflation story. 
They're trying to get right footed on it by raising rates, et cetera, et cetera. So my only thing that I would, would tackle is that I have a little bit of faith in them and their ability to do this because when you control the nation's money supply, you have a lot of options. So that's, that's just kind of the thing where I don't go right ahead and write the Fed off as a failure because it looks like they have some adjusting in their sales to do, if that's fair, Alf. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. The answer I give to this and to Bo is, look, policymakers uh, do not like um, extreme events. They like to be in the body of the distribution to keep control and to keep the status quo intact. So today, the Federal Reserve priority is definitely to fight inflation rather than achieve maximum employment and a very strong um, uh, uh, cyclical growth. So they will lean towards that. But if leaning towards that means over-tightening monetary policy such that the financial condition index you know, goes to the moon and stocks drop another 20% from here. And in most importantly, as tweeted today, credit spreads start to move because so far credit spreads have been pretty much okay. If you look at junk credit spreads, they are as low as uh, a year ago, basically. So they've basically gone nowhere. They haven't reacted. If those start to react too, and then the equity market drops, this, this is not what policymakers are looking for, to be honest. So there is an, a, an incentive to try and engineer soft lending every time because that's how the incentive scheme of policymakers actually work. There is nobody that wants to see fireworks here. They are not paid and appointed to generate fireworks. They're paid and appointed to make sure that right. you know the status quo is preserved. That's it. Well put. There is an, an interesting question on, actually two questions on um, Chile and Palladium, which is up 21% year to date. And Chile as well has been rallying both the peso and the equity market there, given the, the elections, the outcome of the election. So, uh, Tony, what do you make of that? Uh, Alf, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm bullish commodities. I, I, I haven't, you know, I've been really, really focused on the US and, and everything that's going on here. I have to say, I feel like the opportunity is so abundant in terms of having a commodity rally in terms of seeing commodities rally last year in the face of a rallying dollar um, and seeing the equity performance the way it's been and the way the, the sort of shifts are happening right before our eyes, sort of my investing span hasn't left the continental United States, if to be totally honest with you. I do believe that there's some upside um, tailwinds into the base metal markets because of what's going on um, in South America. So you can go ahead and tackle that one, Alf. Well, <laughs> to be honest, um... Chile is obviously a commodity-related country, and the performance here to date has been driven by the outcome of the election. In Latin America, though, I have to add, a lot of this election outcome, cheerful price action has over time reversed, as it's very difficult to implement decent long-term policies. In Chile, it could actually be different, but this is one of the cases where I say, I haven't fully done my homework, so I'll, I'll go back to it and study it further and then uh, come back with a, with a proper answer. You cannot know everything, right? Sometimes you still have to study. Right. Uh, there, is, there is another one, uh, which is on, on uh, short-term yields. And basically people are asking, two-year yields have gone parabolic since Q4 2021, which was when basically Powell started hinting at the fact that uh, the transitory story was not there anymore. And uh, nevertheless, two-year yields have not returned yet to pre-pandemic levels, while 10-year yields actually have returned back 
to pre-pandemic levels. So what do you make of that? Effectively, that's a question on the slope of the yield curve, which is then very important as well for the entire uh, macro setup. So my answer to that question would be that the front end of the yield curve two years has actually reprised up, but it has reprised up to the point where the Federal Reserve and macro conditions allow it to reprise up. So the bond market is pricing in six hikes over the next two years. That's about up to one and a half percent, a bit more federal funds rate in the next two years. And after that, the bond market is being very reluctant to price the Federal Reserve being able to hike further. So what the bond market is telling you, answering Christopher's question, is that yes, we can sort of swallow six or seven hikes in a row. And after that, we don't believe that the economy can take equilibrium interest rates uh, to a much higher level, being able to produce the cyclical growth that everybody wants, society, politicians, and you know the entire economical engine can, and that explains why you know ten-year yields can go up, but they 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 are having so far a hard time breaking this one eighty-five percent, one point nine percent, because once you raise Fed funds rate to one point five, one seventy-five, for ten-year yields to go higher from there, it means that from year three to year ten nominal growth, so as inflation and real growth, needs to pump on cylinders despite the federal funds rate having reached one and a half, one seventy-five percent And apparently, according to the bond market and actually a few more people out there, this seems difficult to engineer. That's basically what it means. Do you have a different take, Tony? Nope. That's a great take for me. I thought that was, that was a very educational answer for me, Alex, so thank you. <laughs> Too kind. We're going to take another quick break to hear words from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Wow, we have to close with this one. All right. Tony, with the volatility in markets, what is your view on cannabis? And is it best to wait to jump into cannabis stocks? Oh, my God. Cannabis. Let's see, where is it today? Is it still falling? Yeah, it's still falling. Cannabis is really, really interesting to me. Um, you know, for Real Vision, I've gotten to speak with probably six or seven CEOs in the last couple of months including the John D. Rockefeller of the space, Jason Wilde, who has an enormous sphere of influence in the cannabis markets. Now, what, what do, there's things I like and I have things I hate about the cannabis market. What was fantastic for me to interview Jason Wilde and learn one year after I, after I interviewed him last time was that he's no less bullish on his sector, despite the fact that the stocks have done like this massive round trip. So operationally, there's something to be said for this frontier industry. When the guys that run the companies put earmuffs on because they, they can't stress what the market is currently valuing their operation at, that tells me that the long-term prospects are still pretty good, right? We're starting to see these companies show up with real earnings. They're getting into, they're having $100 million revenue quarters. So it's becoming tangible and real. The market right now is completely disgusted and fed up with the timing from going public, uh, excuse me, going legal on a federal level, right? So you've got the operators in the space 
on a stop-start mode trying to get multi-million dollar revenue businesses online. And they're all struggling to supply the cannabis markets with as much cannabis as they can for when it goes legal, yet not have to proverbially set thousands of pounds of cannabis on fire if case we don't go legal with the same time frame that they're expecting. So there's so much uncertainty that I think the investor has rightfully said, I can find a thousand better trades for, now, for my money right now than the cannabis market. But I also believe that there will be a time in history, we'll probably look back on these prices now where they seem to be throwing away the baby with the bathwater. But man, in terms of valuation and, and real businesses, Cannabis is as cheap as it gets. I just don't know what the catalyst that gets it going on the upside is again. And that's my most honest opinion. Wow, it's impressive. So today we basically covered everything from Russia, Ukraine, geopolitics, to commodities, to cannabis, Bitcoin, to real yields. Whatever it is, Alf. The, the beauty of talking to Tony is that you can talk it all. He, he always has an answer for you ready. And when he doesn't have it, then he's just going to say he doesn't know, like me at the end of the day. Tony, if the um, the audience here at Real Vision wants to find more about you, I mean, they know you already, but nevertheless, where can they find your work? TGMacro.com is my website. You can find some background on me and my products there. Uh, anyone from Real Vision can email me at Tony at TGMacro.com if they have any questions about my product line. Thank you so much, Alf. You are outstanding at covering all this material. I really enjoyed doing this with you. A pleasure. If people want to find my work, they find it at the Macro Compass newsletter. Anyway, guys, let's tune in tomorrow as well uh, at the Real Vision Daily Briefing because tomorrow is a paramount important day. Finally, we got Jay Powell in front of the camera telling us what the heck is he going to do despite uh, the stock market being down 10 to 12 percent year to date, whether he's going to proceed uh, to, to hike and do quantitative tightening, and most importantly, what the forward guidance will be. Will it be changed or will it be ironed out to be what it was basically communicated? And I'll be back here with Darius Dale tomorrow to discuss soon after the FOMC. Tony, what's up? One question before we go: Do you believe? Sure. Uh, do you agree with these uh, this crazy guy at Goldman Sachs that says the FOMC is going to raise rates at every meeting this year? Is that possible? No, I think he's smoking. No, I don't know if he's smoking, but that's uh, as I said before. Look, there is a, there is a tail risk that this happens. Can this be your modal central scenario? Well, unless you think inflation is running completely out of control, and then they will be forced basically to implement this policy. Yes, but again, assuming inflation runs completely out of control, it's hardly a base case scenario. It can be a valid tail risk, but making this your base case scenario sounds to me a bit too much. Well put. I wanted to hear your opinion on that before we departed. Thank you very much, Alf. Thanks, Tony. So tomorrow I'll be back with Darius Dale, guys, and uh, tune back into the Real Vision Daily Briefing. And thanks for listening to uh, Tony and I debate macro and markets. Bravo. Well done, my man. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.